But today and next week are our last two Grace and Granites for the, the semester, and then we shut down until, until January, and so we're, we've got two lessons before us this morning. We're going to talk about discipleship, which is the, the, the fourth um, principle here that we're working through, and then, Lord willing, next week we'll talk about how to be a student of the times. But before we get there, I want you to open to Psalm 28. Psalm 28. This is a Psalm of David and a very familiar one. You, you may hear it on Sunday. I, don't, I do not know. Um, I opened this morning to, to look at the Psalm. Uh, it was on the list of, uh, of a handful of sermons that uh, Dr. Drian sent me um, for options for this, to, for this Sunday. Um, but it's the Psalm of David, and it is my Bible and the little heading there says, A Prayer for Help and Praise for Answer. But this is an expression of confidence uh, in the Lord, a request uh, to the Lord based upon a crisis that David's going through, and then an expression of confidence in the midst of that, and then uh, just a, a prayer at the, at, at the very end. But as you read it, I'm sure you'll relate. It says, To you, O Lord, I call. My rock, do not be deaf to me. For if you are silent, I will become like those who go down into the pit. Hear the voice of my supplications when I cry to you for help, when I lift up my hands toward your holy sanctuary. Do not drag me away with the wicked and with those who work iniquity, who speak peace with their neighbors while evil is in their hearts. And so there's the first section. The first thing I notice is this is not like Lord... Bless me today, Lord. Uh, you know, uh, bless my meal. I mean, there, there, there's prayer, and yet there are different types of prayer. Right? There's, there's the prayer where we're thanking God, um, maintenance prayer, if you will. You're doing what you know to do. You're giving God thanks for for what's happening. You're requesting uh, daily bread, basic things, and then there is is prayer where you're crying out to the Lord. You have a need. And that increases the urgency, doesn't it? it? Increases the urgency, increases the intensity of prayer, um, and that's clearly what you have going on here. Dave, David is crying out to the Lord, and he's saying, "I need you. I need you to answer. Do not be silent to me." Um, and then in verse four, he he turns to um, still praying, but now he directs him directs the prayer toward for those who are afflicting him in some way. Requite them according to, the, to their work, according to the evil of their practices. Basically, do to them what they're doing. Um, re, not return evil for evil, but in this case, yes. Do to them exactly what, what, what they're doing. Requite them according to their deeds, the deeds of their hands. Repay them their recompense, give them what they deserve, because they do not regard the works of the Lord. Notice David doesn't say do this because of what they've done to me. 
he keeps the focus on, on, on God. Um, because they do not regard the works of the Lord, nor the deeds of his hands, he will tear them down and not build them up. The Lord tears us down, but he builds us back up. And then here is the, the praise, the confidence that, that he has. Um, Blessed be the Lord, because he has heard the voice of my supplication. The Lord is my strength and my shield. Now, nothing has changed in David's life. No circumstantial change when David begins here. And he says, blessed be the Lord, because he's heard the voice of my supplication. So there are times when you pray and you, you say that. Bless your name, Lord. You've heard my prayer. And we're saying that because God moved. He answered in some way. Changed our circumstances. But that's not always the case. Here's confidence before the Lord ever changed any circumstance, which is, which is a prayer of faith. You're trusting in the Lord. You hear me, and I'll leave the results in your hands. The Lord is my strength, in verse 7, and my shield. My heart trusts in Him, and I am helped. The help is coming from the Lord, and the help begins by trusting in the Lord. Therefore, my heart exalts. So he goes from this trying circumstance to cry out to the Lord. He expresses confidence in the Lord because God's heard him, not because he answered immediately or changed his circumstances. Verse 7, he focuses on the fact that God's his strength and his shield. I'm trusting in him, and because of that, I am, I'm helped. There's a, there's a relief here because of his confidence in God, and his heart is now lifted up above his circumstances. And with my song... I shall thank him. Watch the, the flow, the complete change from crying out to the Lord and help for help to now he's singing in his heart unto the Lord. The Lord is their strength. He is the saving defense of his anointed. And now he's not just talking about himself. He moves to corporate things. The Lord is their strength. He is the saving defense of his anointed. Now he's talking about the covenant nature of God. Why is he talking about this? This, this work of God in his own heart, this trust that God that he has for the Lord in his own heart because the Lord has made a covenant with his people. Not just me, but and I'm part of God's people. God won't, will not fail his people. And then verse 9, Save your people and bless your inheritance. Be their shepherd also and carry them forever. An allusion to God being the great shepherd of the sheep and the shepherd of Israel. And you might think of Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. He's not just the shepherd of people, the people of Israel or of this church, but, but he loves the individual sheep as well. So let's pray. Father, thank you for the many types of prayer that you give us the opportunity to express. I confess to you in my flesh, in my heart, I would like to get up every day and have a good day, a wonderful day, a day without difficulty, a day without opposition, a day without temptation, a day full of just blessings that fall from heaven without any effort, but that is not my life. That's not life outside of the garden. That's not anyone's life. Lord, you are gracious and kind, and you mingle into life joys in days of ease, but there are also days of difficulty. 
Um, there are periods of time, extended periods of time, where, where we, are, we are under pressures. There are times of intense affliction. And yet this psalm teaches us that uh, our, our weapon in the midst of that, our relief valve, is, is prayer. We can cry out to you. And then as we do, we're reminded that even in the midst of all of those things, the difficult things, you're there, you've not forsaken us, you've promised to see us through, um, what our circumstances cry out and try to, try to say is, is exactly the opposite of the truth. Um, you are the Lord, you are our shepherd, and it's, it's not just... Uh, not just promises to us, but we're part of something greater in, in our day, the church. And you have promised to build your church. You've promised to preserve your church. You've promised to see it through. And we are, we are thankful, very thankful for that. Um, you love your flock, and you love us as, as individual sheep. You know the very hairs on our head, um, and you promise to provide each one of us daily bread. You are a good shepherd. And we love you for it. Um, teach us this morning as we, we talk about how to, to sharpen one another and lead each other in the truth. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, open your Grace and Granite books. And we are on number seven. We're at the very end of that. But we are developing some foundational convictions, trying to drive those home. Convictions are what give us courage give us substance in, in, in life. We don't want to just be, be wisps in the wind, blowing about by every wind of doctrine. We don't want to be that way for our, our, our wives, our friends, our families, whoever it, it, it might be. That seems like the easy path to just kind of be carried along with the currents of, uh, of our hearts, of, of what our spouses want, of of what is, uh, what, what, what's happening in life, being passive. Um, but the Lord gives us other commands. He tells us to, uh, to apply the truth, vigorously apply the truth to, to our lives. And we want to develop these, these characteristics. And that commitment that we're really aiming for is in the church, around the church, because that's, that's God's plan uh, right now in the world. It's A, B, C, D. It's not... Uh, you and Jesus, it's Jesus working in his church and through his church to build his church to which you are, which you are part of. And so we said to develop these convictions, you start with having a working biblical literacy. You're working hard to know the truth, uh, not just generally, but specifically. Uh, you have the right perspective of leadership. Um, it is influence, influence that comes from godly character. Don't view it on a on a, on, on a worldly uh, scale, on a corporate scale. Uh, it's not organization, event planning, or mobilizing large groups. It's applying the word to life's hardest questions, um, change happening at the heart level. You have to know how to develop convictions. We want convictions. How do you develop them? You have to have the right perspective of self, uh, right perspective of longevity, right perspective of influence. It's not on a superficial level, and that's where we're at. All true spiritual influence comes from godly character. Godly character flows from humility and faith. And genuine humility and faith are measured by faithfulness to Christ. And here we are. What matters supremely? 
is that you be men of Ezra 7.10. Men that know the truth, live the truth, proclaim the truth, and today disciple others in the truth. So we talked about how much do you know, how much do you actually live, are you working on closing that gap between what you know versus what you do, and then we talked about proclaiming the truth, witnessing, talking to others about about Jesus, and today we're going to talk about replicating. Now, I don't know your personal experience about discipleship. I think whenever I came to Christ, it was during the period of, anybody remember um, Henry Blackaby's uh, stuff, was experiencing God. Of course, I was, was saved, you heard, in, a, in an Arminian, Keswick type of church, uh, mystical, followed the promptings of the Spirit, so Henry Blackaby stuff fit right in there. You know, uh, I'm going to, uh, Charles Stanley, the Spirit-filled life, I'm going to live my life today by the promptings of the Spirit. And so I'm, I'm watching for the Spirit to, to do certain things in me and in other people. And um, if you've ever been on that roller coaster, it's not a fun ride. Uh, and you basically go in circles. You don't go anywhere. <laughs> you, just, you just ride this ups and down, this up and down of trying to figure out what God is doing and trying to discern things that Scripture never tells you to discern to begin with. Um, but in that process, here is Henry Blackaby, and we're working through these books, and that's what, that was called discipleship. So discipleship is like an eight-week course, a nine-week program, and we're, you, know, you need to be discipled. And so this is what it is. Come to the discipleship class, and people that know how to teach the stuff will, will go, through this, go through this book with you. And when you're done, then you would assume that you're discipled, right? You're, you're done. And, and yet, you don't find that in Scripture at all. Uh, in fact, uh, what you find is the term that when you come to Christ, you are a disciple, um, and again, in the world I was raised in, maybe you as well, there was this whole idea of salvation is making a decision. Make a decision for Jesus, make a decision to go to heaven, and I'm praying a prayer, I'm asking Jesus into my heart, um, I am confessing with my mouth and believing, now I've made it become a Christian, uh, and then later in life, maybe five years, ten years, maybe when revival uh, comes, then I become a disciple. So kind of pulling apart this whole idea of Jesus as Savior, and maybe sometime later in life when you get serious about God, then He becomes Lord. And you don't find that in Scripture either. In fact, if you look at, at the book of Acts, what are the apostles preaching? They're preaching that Jesus is both Lord and Christ. So at the moment of salvation, you're submitting to Him as God. Now, when you come to Christ, when, when, when you, you, you believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, you believe the gospel, you exercise saving faith, um, you call upon the name of the Lord, uh, are you as sanctified at that moment as you will be 10 years from now? No, of course not. Uh, when I got up from, from praying, I mean, I was probably converted in the pew before I ever walked forward. So in my church, altar call at the end... And that's what you did. That's how you acknowledged that you wanted to receive Jesus. So, so I walked forward. I knelt down. I don't even think I said anything. Uh, it was more of a submission of the heart. I'm going to submit to the truth. Um, 
At that moment I got up, there was a change in my life from regeneration, wherever that happened in the pew or, or somewhere between there, but it was a, a submission uh, to God in my heart and believing uh, in, in, in trusting in Christ, all these words that Scripture uses. But when, when, when I got up, the preacher put the microphone in my, my face and said, how do you feel? Um, and I, I said something like, well, I wish I'd have done this a long time ago. I really didn't know what to say. Um, I was not as, uh, as sanctified at that moment as I was a year later. Um, so some people will say, well, it, it's, it's, it's later, that's when you make Jesus your, your, your Lord. But there's no, there, there, was, there was no daylight whatsoever in my heart. I might not have known what I needed to forsake. I might have still had sin in my life that... I mean, I, I've spent 20-some years with bad thinking, curse words in my head, looking at things that I shouldn't. All that's still there. The remnant of that is still there. But one thing was very clear. I had submitted to the work of Christ, and I had submitted to the lordship of Christ. I had submitted to God. Jesus is now my master. I might know, not know exactly how to walk or, or where to step, but at that moment... I am in full submission to who Jesus is and what he did. That's salvation. I am fully trusting in him, and I am now letting him direct my life and guide my life. I am now a follower of Christ. I am now a disciple. And you can look at the, the, the disciples in the New Testament and figure out that, that they were half-baked as well in, in the process. I mean... You have little faith, they're, they're still arguing. I mean, even, even to the point where they're, they're headed to the cross and they're trying to figure out who's going to sit at the, at the right and, and left hand. So the lordship of Christ doesn't mean that, that, that you're walking in, you know, in, in the fullness of sanctification that you will later in life. But what it does mean is that you don't pull apart this idea that Jesus is somehow your get-out-of-hell-free card but you don't even acknowledge that he's God or Lord, and you'll figure out how to do that somewhere later in life. He is the Lord, and he's Christ at that moment. And you're in full submission to what he did on the cross. You're trusting in that fully, and you're trusting in him now as your master. And now you start walking, and you learn how to appropriate that. You learn how to, to trust more in what he did on the cross, and you learn how to follow him better. And that's the process of progressive sanctification. So you become a disciple at that moment, and then disciples walk uh, in, in following the Lord. So what we're talking about this morning is how am I involved in that process with other people? What is my responsibility? How do I assist others to follow Jesus? And what exactly does, does, that, does that mean? Obviously... It's not going to happen in nine weeks. It's a lifetime. So talk to me. How did, when you came to Christ, how did, how did someone take you under their wing, or did someone take you under your wing? Maybe you have a story that says it wasn't until five years later, until I got into a good church. How did someone, when you came to Christ, maybe a relative, maybe a, an older man in the church, maybe someone else, how did... How did someone, when you submitted to the work and the Lordship of Christ, take you and help you walk in a, in a specific direction?
Yes, Ed. Thank you. Amen. It's really that simple, isn't it? How long did that last? Okay. Amen. Amen. So he just met with you every week. What did that look like when you when you would meet? He would pray. He would pray. You would pray. He would start. Okay. Did you read uh, scripture together there? Did you have scripture that you read at other times? Or did you talk about the sermons, or do you remember? Okay. Right. Yeah. Amen. What else? Great. Amen. Someone else? Yeah. How old were you when you came to the Lord? Okay. And that's when it was hard to read the Bible? Okay. Yeah. It is. Like, where do I read? Where do I start? Yeah. 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 And uh, I would say 
Yeah. What did it look like with that youth pastor? Was did he? Did, was this just the weekly preaching that was doing, or did he meet with you personally? So you guys would meet after worship, or did you meet once a week? Did you, or was it more just uh, more of a casual thing? It was definitely once a week. Okay. Um, but sometimes more than that. But he lived pretty close to me, so I could go to his house. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Like Amen. Your testimony there reminded me of you know, somebody asking MacArthur one time. Um, you know, are do you believe that people are saved? They're genuine believers in you know, Pentecostalism or in Roman Catholicism or whatever it might be. I don't know if they included RC uh, Roman Catholicism in there, but he said, "Yeah, of course." You know, the, wherever the gospel is is preached, the sad part is people that remain there are regulated to struggle in their sanctification the rest of their life because there's not a lot of there's, there might be some an echo of the gospel there, but there's not. There's not truth that then leads them leads them out of that. So it was it, it helped me to have a, a more of a compassionate perspective, you know. Of oh yeah, um, I should feel sorry for somebody that that's that's in that caught in that you know in that system. Amen. Yes, David. So you came to Christ through the study of Romans, or you came to Christ and then he said, let's, let's read Romans together. Okay. All right. Yeah. Okay.
Amen. Geweld? Ja, Ed? Amen. Ministry of Presence. It's there. Are we... St- uh, yeah, Mike. That's a key right there. Are you still being discipled? Yeah, we're still disciples, aren't we? Being discipled in many ways. What What are some common things that you heard from from all of those testimonies? Mike just initiated or just just gave one, which was somebody initiated that. A, a more mature man, somebody else said, "Hey, hey, let's meet." The word of God. Word of God is the is the tool of discipleship. Um, did it sound like you needed to have a seminary degree to do do all that? No, it sounded like getting together and reading through the scriptures. Yeah. Okay. Amen. Amen. There's a there's an initiative there. The scripture is your tool. What else did you hear that was that was common and all that? Yeah, Joby. Amen. Amen. I heard a consistency, whether it's weekly or biweekly or whatever it is. Somebody is initiating that out of care, using the tool, and they're getting together. You hear what Ed Ed's testimony in the beginning? It was. You're getting together and you're talking about life and you're applying the Bible to life. And you're talking about how I applied the Bible to life. And life happens, doesn't it? I mean, you're not just kind of frozen in time. If you set a time to meet, there's going to be stuff to talk about because <laughs> there's going to be things that are going to happen on a regular basis. Um, and then you're applying that to applying that to Scripture. My experience was I pleaded with my pastor uh, to be able to meet with him. And he discipled me in certain ways. Uh, he would meet with me after church. He would meet with me, you know, before church. He would he would say, hey, why don't you come in before and be a half hour before. I would talk to him afterward. I just wanted to be around him. I just wanted to learn more. I was hungry. And, uh, and, and he, I, I would ask him questions. I was going through struggles. He was also bivocational. He drove a school bus. And, um, and then his wife had a, I had a, uh, an antique thing that she did at the flea market every weekend, and so they were busy doing that. He was trying to support himself, so his time was limited. 
there was a pastor from another church. It's probably when, when I had what Ed was talking about. Um, and someone did the same thing with him. And uh, I asked him if he would meet with me, and he said, yeah. Uh, come this, this, this weeknight, Tuesday or Thursday. And I went to his office. I mean, we went in there, and he made me make a commitment. I'm happy to invest this time in you. He talked to my pastor because I didn't go to his church. Um, and they coordinated, no, no sheep stealing. You know, you're under your pastor's authority. And, and uh, so all of that was cleared, and we sat down. And he said, I'll meet with you, but um, there are two commitments that I want you to make before I'll agree you know, to, to give the time. Yeah. What are they? One, you'll do the work. You'll, uh, if I'm going to come and show up here, then you're actually going to do the work. Cause obviously, he doesn't know me. Yeah, no, check the box. Number two, when we're done, you'll, you'll turn around and, uh, and try to do this with somebody else. That was the, that was the two commitments that, that, that he made. And I, 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 when he gave me the second one, I thought, Ugh. I mean, I mean, okay, but I'm not really sure what I'm agreeing to do. I mean, I'm still young in the faith. I'm not sure I know how to do this. You know, like in my mind, discipleship is I've got to know all this information to be able to communicate it to, you know, to other people. But I made, the, I made the commitment. And then in the process, he showed me what he meant by that. So we would meet. The first thing that we would do is we would pray. And um, he gave me an assignment every week. We read through... Two, uh, uh, two chapters of Scripture a day. And the first thing that he assigned me was First John. And I, I think I've shared this story with you before when he said, okay, I want you to read two chapters of First John a day. He gave me a little sheet, and it was like a half sheet of paper. And on that sheet was everything that I was, that I was to do with a little checkbox. Um, and it was to help me get in the rhythm. Uh, almost like if you're going to, to go to... Uh, you know, a gym, they'll give you an exercise routine that you're going to do. And you're trying to figure out how much weight can I lift, you know, I want to get 80% or whatever the, the factor is. But then in the beginning, I'm kind of checking the box. I'm going to this machine and then that machine and that machine. And after a while, you get in the rhythm. Well, I don't have any rhythm. So he gave me a half sheet of paper, and it had every day, one through seven. And it was uh, pray and then... Read First uh, uh, John one and two. First John the next day was First John three and four, and then he, and then I repeated that. So he had me reading First John multiple times because there's not enough passages or not enough chapters to to get through. And then he gave me a, a verse to memorize to work on memorizing. Uh, and then there was church attendance. Sunday morning, Sunday night, and in those days it was, it was Wednesday night. And all of that was, uh, you know, Karate Kid, Mr. Miyagi, wax on, wax off. I'm checking the box, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, getting in the normal in a rhythm. So the first thing he did when he came in is we opened in prayer and he prayed. He said, you got anything to pray about? What's, what's going on, you know, in, in, in your life? Yeah, you know, this happened, that happened, how'd you do? And then he would pray, and then he would let me pray. So, again, he's modeling for me what to do, and I don't remember how well I prayed. I'm sure, you know, clearly not as, not as good as him, but he's showing me what to do, 
and then he's asking me to do it. And then we would talk about First John. The first, I was so green the first day that I went in, when it said First John 1 and 2, I thought it was verse 1 and verse 2. So I had, uh, and then he said, what, when you're reading, when you start to read, pray, Lord, teach me something new today, read the text, and then write down everything that you saw, questions you had, just write. Don't, don't worry about interpreting yet, just write down the observations. Um, and then bring that with you next week, any of the questions, and we'll, you know, we'll answer it. Well, I had First John 1, verse 1. First John, verse 2, and I read it twice. And I'm thinking, well, this is really weird. I'm not reading a lot of scripture. Of course, I had it completely wrong. He was wanting me to read the whole chapter. But I had all kinds of notes. And I want to tell you what, reading First John, verse 1 and verse 2, multiple times and writing down everything I saw, I paid attention to details that I had never paid attention to before. I still remember some of those lessons today that I learned from, from, from those verses. But he would give me something to do, and then we would open the Bible, and he would say, okay, 1 John. And he said, he would, he'd say to me, now listen, this week, I'm going to be reading 1 John, just like you're going to be reading 1 John. And I'm going to write down things, I'm going to remember things that I'm observing, and then we'll talk about it together. So I'm like, ah, what? that's pretty neat. He's reading the same thing I'm reading. Um, and then we got together and we talked about what I'd written down, the questions I had. Well, it said, you know, um, that, they, the, 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 that they handled him. And there's two, two words here that said, in one sense it says that they saw him, and the other word says that they beheld him intently. What's the difference between those two? Well, let me show you what the difference is. So, did, you, did you try to look that up? Yeah, I tried to look that up. I looked at it in my little Strong's Concordance thing. It looked like there were two different words, but I don't know Greek. I don't know but why the two words. And then he would explain that to me. We just walked through the questions. And then he would say, you know, well, here's what I noticed. Wow, I didn't see that at all. <laughs> How did he see that? And, and at the same time, he's, you know, he's, he's discipling me the whole time. Um, he would ask me. He'd look at my little sheet. Uh, you didn't make the church on Wednesday night. What was, what was up? What was going on? Accountability, you know, that, that was there. And then we would do the same thing. They would do the same thing next week. In the process, he said, um, now here's a commitment I want you to make. Another commitment I want you to make. All right. Well, this is kind of getting a lot of commitment here, but all right. What is it? He said, this coming week, I want you to find somebody to share what you're learning with. So when you're reading 1 John, just something that stood out to you. You have co-workers. Well, who would I share that? Well, share it with Tracy. Share it with a co-worker. Hey, I was reading in the Bible today and saw something really neat. Did you ever know? And so then it went from share that with one person this week, what you've learned this week, to every day. So just share with someone what you've learned in your personal uh, Bible study uh, today. Now, what's he doing? A, I am now paying attention <laughs> in a greater degree. If I'm going to share something, then I'm not just kind of skimming through it. Uh, he's also teaching me how to share with other people. It doesn't mean I need to know a bunch of information. I mean, who can argue with what I saw from Scripture? I mean, this is what... You know, I was, I was reading the, the Bible this morning, and I saw something I'd never seen before. Here's what I saw when you're sharing that with a coworker or, or somebody else. And he's, he's teaching me 
uh, that, that I'm not just taking it in, but I'm also you know, pouring it back out. And we met like that for, I don't know, I don't know how many weeks. There would be times that he would uh, assign me um, a, a little pamphlet to read, and they were the basics. What's the church? What are the ordinances? What's giving? You know, what's the Bible? Some of the apologetical stuff. I mean, this stuff's maybe maybe eight pages long. It's nothing big. It's high levels. I didn't know any of that. Um, then he would at times he would assign me a sermon, but the, the the gist of the discipleship was we had a specific time that we would meet on a weekly basis. We met around the scriptures, and we would just talk about the Bible. And there was some accountability that was that was there, and 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 his his goal was to meet with me, to pray with me, get me in the Word, and then get me, with baby steps, if you will, sharing that information with, with other people. Um, and that one-on-one, in that length of time, transformed my, my life. And then, when we were done, he said, now remember the commitment that you made. So, next week, meet next week, I want you to write down, between now and the next time, five people you may think of in your life that, that you know that you might just turn around and do the same thing uh, with. And so the next week we did, and I picked someone, and you know what I did? I did the exact same thing that he did with me. I was a parrot. I repeated it. Um, and I did, I mean, almost to the T. I, will you make a commitment to read the Bible? Will you make a commitment to, you know, and, and then I just did exactly what, what he showed me to do, and that's the basics of you know of discipleship. So the challenge, really, this morning, is: Are you doing that? Have you even thought about doing that? Is someone doing that with you? Because that is part of being a man. That's part of being a godly man. Uh, and whether that's with your children, whether that's with your wife, sometimes that can be awkward for, for whatever reasons. Are you doing that with someone? And maybe you're sitting here going, I don't know how to do that. I'm hearing that, then I'm now looking for someone else, and I'm praying, Lord, lead somebody into my life that might be able to do this with, with me. It's, and what I'm trying to get you to see is it's not complicated. Um, it's, it's spending time with someone else around scriptures, praying together, um, and focused on, on on the word. Other thoughts? All right. Look at verse. Uh, look at number three. So you have true ministries are committed to Bible exposition, leadership development, shepherding, discipleship, holy living, and a biblical philosophy of ministry. The order is deliberate. You study, you practice, you teach. And then number three, in the development of leadership within the body of Christ, it's God alone who gives influence and He alone who determines the scope and the breadth. You have a corporate discipleship that's happening. You're being discipled from the pulpit. Every single time that you hear a sermon whether I preach it, your Sunday school teacher teaches, whatever it is, they're not only teaching you what the Bible says, they're modeling for you how to interpret it. 
Every time you teach, you put your hermeneutics on display. So if someone asks you to open the Bible and go to this passage, and then they read it, and then they talk about something completely disconnected, they use that as a launching pad to talk about whatever they want, they're not being a faithful preacher. They're, not, they're clearly not teaching you good hermeneutics. Because you ought to be able to read that passage and see how you get the truth out of what I'm saying to you from that. Because that's the authority. I'm not the authority, synthesized or, or, or not. So you're being discipled corporately. You're learning how to study the Bible corporately. It's also being modeled for you. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. And so some of you mentioned men that are in your life that, that, that you're watching. I mean, I didn't know how to pray. And we had corporate prayer time. Corporate prayer time on Sunday nights looked like this. The women, this 150-person church, the women would stay in the pews, and the pastor would, before, before Sunday night service started, let's, we're going to start in prayer tonight. It's family prayer time. And so I'm going to invite the men up. So all the men of the church would come, and they would hang around up, up front. Most of them were standing. The ladies would stay back there. Why they did this, I don't know. There's no Bible verse to do this. This is just the practice. And the pastor would stand in the pulpit, and he would say, any prayer requests? Again, small church, family church. And people, yeah, pray for Uncle Joe. You know, he's got heart surgery this week. Or pray for, you know, pray for Brian. He's unsaved, whatever it is. And he's like, all right, um, then let's go to prayer. Now, the ladies would bow their heads there, and the men would go somewhere, up here, over in the corner. They'd sit on the front pew that was there, and they would pray. We, we would start to pray together. Everybody would pray to themselves, but some of the men prayed verbally. It, it wasn't like loud, but it was, they, they were talking, but it was kind of like this, there's beauty to it, frankly. It was a, a, just this, this rumble of, people talking to the Lord. And I remember, as a young Christian, trying to find guys to, to kneel close to. you know. And I'd pray, which my prayer lasted about two, two sentences or so. But then I would listen, you know, what this guy's saying. Learn how to pray. Model for me, you know, what to do. Model for me when to come to church. Model for me how to do certain things. So you're getting corporately discipled. There's models of others that are walking around you that you're not meeting with. And then there's what we've been talking about intently this morning, which is someone taking you, meeting with you around, around the scriptures and talking through the, uh, through the Bible together, taking an interest uh, in you. Look at number eight. Have a practical, have a grasp of practical ministry. So now you're being asked to take a self-inventory. Where do you serve and how are you serving in the body? Well, I serve with the ministry of presence. My service is showing up and you're blessed that I'm here whenever I'm here. Is that what that means? No. Where are you giving of yourself? To the church. How are you doing that? Are you doing that? You should be doing that. You're committed in, to the church in, in, in some way. Are you involved in a Bible study? Well, obviously you are because you're here. Praise the Lord. It's a wonderful thing. It's good. Are you encouraging friendships? 
Are you inviting people over to your home? Are you friendly? Well, I'm an introvert. I don't like to talk to people. Well, I mean, I understand there are different personalities, but, but, but this is your family. And you have to take some initiative. I mean, even if you don't know how to start a conversation, you can walk up to a group of people that are there and just kind of stand there. At some point, they're going to acknowledge they're there and they're going to talk to you in some way. But don't just come and sit on the pew and then talk to no one and then, and then say, well, the, the, nobody reached out to me. Uh, I, I'm, not, I'm not feeling connected in any way. Well, of course you're not feeling connected anyway. All you're doing is coming in, you're sitting down on the pew, you're not talking to anybody, expecting everybody to come and talk to you. You have to take some initiative. Are you encouraging friendships, your friendships in the church? Well, I, I just, I have, uh, I, I, I'm friends with the guys that, you know, that I play golf with, or I'm friends with the guys that I shoot guns with, or I'm friends with the guys at the gym or whatever. So now my next question to you is, do you have those same kind of friendships in the church, and what, are, what type of friendships are those guys? If you have more fellowship with unbelievers... If you have fellowship with unbelievers, more fellowship with unbelievers than you do with Christians, that's a problem because they're influencing you. And it also might be telling something about your own heart because if you like what they like, that's not good. Um, you should have a, an instinctual draw to other Christians. Um, or as your mom told you, if you run with dogs, you're going to get fleas, Right? Birds of a feather flock together. Are you encouraging friendships? Are you encouraging the right ones? And then are you discipling anyone? Are you just meeting with someone around the Bible? Maybe that's how you develop the friendship part. Are you being discipled? Is someone meeting with you? Reading the Bible with you, talking about the sermons. Are you in the flow of ministry life... Learning about the lives of others. Oh, now here's, here's really where you're, get, you're getting down into the, the meat of it. Are you in the flow of ministry life? Learning about the lives of others. You know how easy it is to carry on a conversation with someone? It's as easy as this. Ask them questions about themselves. Because people love to talk about themselves. What's going on in your life? What, what did you do this past weekend? Um, move from there to what did you think about the sermon? And if it gets dull, ask, make a statement. This is what I didn't understand. This is what was made clear to me. But I still, I don't even understand this. What about you? Just ask questions. Ask questions of people. I marveled at a man, and I think I shared this with you last time about evangelism, marveled at a man how easy it was for him to transition to the gospel and it was all because he just showed interest in, in somebody else. Did you know that that's one of the things that, that, that was different about Jesus than the Pharisees and everyone else? The Pharisees, the religious leaders, were interested in their religious stuff. Jesus was actually interested in people. Aren't you glad that Jesus Christ took a personal interest in you as a sinner? Jesus was condemned. I understand you get this, uh, well, Jesus hung out with, with, the, with the, the, the sinners, and so I'm supposed to go do that. I'm going to go drink beer with, with people at the bar in order to win him to Jesus. It's a bunch of garbage, you know that. But he did care. 
He cared about broken people. He cared about people broken in their sin. Jesus responded to people in two different ways in general. You find him kicking the religious leaders, the hypocrites, in the teeth. He punched them right in the mouth with the truth in a meek way. And he showed great mercy and great compassion on people that were broken in their sin, that knew that they had a need. The people that didn't know they had a need, he didn't have any problem showing them their need with a, with, with a sharp jab. But the people that already knew their need, that were broken because of their sin and what was going on in their life, he cared. And one of the ways you can show you care about other people is just ask them questions. Um, a lot of times we don't make it beyond first base with, with someone that we care about because we don't care. We don't even care enough to ask them a question. We're very interested in talking about ourselves, very interested in talking about what's going on in my life, very interested in talking about what I've learned. And a lot of times we like to hear ourselves talk. And you need to practice doing the other, asking a question and listening. You know how many times I actively, intentionally stop my mouth when I'm listening to my wife? I mean, my first instinct, I ask Tracy a question, she makes a statement, and then within two seconds of her making the statement, I kind of know where she's going, and then I want to teach her something. I want to tell her something. Just listen. She may actually define for you what you're going to ask her. Just listen. Listen. And that will change the way that those relationships happen. Are you in the flow of ministry life learning about the lives of others? You can't learn about the lives of others unless you ask questions. It gets a little deeper. Do you sacrifice your time, your energy, and resources to serve others? Your time is something that you can't you can't multiply. You can multiply energy in, a, in some ways. You know, work out, get good sleep, eat good, whatever. I mean, you can do little tweaks. Ways you can multiply your resources, your time. Everybody's got the same amount of it. And where you invest that says a lot about you and a lot about what you care about. Look where you're investing your time this morning. Good job. Praise the Lord. You could have stayed in bed. Your energy, you, you have a limited amount that you're pouring out every day. Is it directed to people? And your resources. If you look at your checkbook or whatever, you, you know, your app, if you give, where you give, where you spend your money is going to say volumes about your priorities and your commitment in life. And a lot of times what we'll see is we are our main priority and our main, and our main commitment. If you're not setting aside the first fruits, if you're not giving to the Lord, I'm not talking you know, the difference between tithing and sacrificial giving and you know, the, those kinds of things. If you're not giving and the first thing that you do and the money that comes into your house, that you're giving that to the Lord, you're not setting that aside... You're not being obedient. You're, 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 you're setting yourself up for other things to attach to your heart. It's an act of worship. 
It's an act of service, and it's also a way that you can actively kill your flesh um, when you turn it loose. Which is harder? To live in Nepal, eating out of a rice bowl, not knowing where you're going to get your, your next meal? Is that hard? That's hard. Most of us don't know what, that, what that's like. Is, that har- is it harder to have an empty bowl or to have a wheelbarrow full of stuff and actually turn loose of it? There's some challenges there, isn't there? This person over here with the empty bowl, they're crying out to God, they're pleading with the Lord to fill the bowl, and they're growing spiritually. But it's also pretty hard to already have that in my hand and turn loose of that. That takes some spiritual muscle as, as well. And I would argue that that might even be harder than not having and working that out of your heart. And then finally, do you pray for others? Um, do you pray for others? Nothing wrong with praying for yourself. You should pray for yourself. You're commanded to pray for yourself. We're also commanded to, to pray for, for other people. Mentioning their names before the very throne of God. Think of the privilege of that. God's listening to you, and you have an audience with the Lord in who you mention before the Creator of heaven and earth. You have the ability to mention their name. Does the Lord know about them? You better believe He does. He already knows about them, especially if they're a sheep. But He gives you the privilege of mentioning their name before him so that when he answers, you might be able to give him thanks. And they might be able to give the Lord thanks because you prayed. You prayed for them. So start. Tomorrow morning, later today, whenever it is, write down three people that you're going to pray for. It could be your family members. Mention their names before the Lord of, of heaven. Closing thoughts before I let you go. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. I think it's both. I don't think it's one or the other. I I think that that's where the corporate's expected and where you start. Like every believer, you're made a disciple. I'm now following Jesus. I'm being baptized, I'm being brought into the church under the authority of the word, and I'm being taught everything. So that's normal Christianity. Normal Christianity is the corporate part. Um, And this is my church family. These are my brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, Jesus said, behold, my mother and brothers. That's a big deal. Uh, My family unit may be broken in heaven. There are going to be members of my blood that are not going to be in heaven but I'm going to be in heaven with all of you all. You are my family. Um, I want my blood to be there as well, but, but the, there's a, the, higher, the, the family of God is higher, so it's, that's the normal part, and I'm doing that. So if what you mean by that is I am meeting with, intentionally with people after church, before church, and we're talking about, about the word, that's a, that's a great thing. Um, but I, I would still be looking for... For someone to meet with on a you know on a one-on-one basis so you'll be able to go deeper and you know and and, and farther in that you know in that process um, but I would I would start with the norm if I'm not even in, I'm not doing the norm that that's probably where 
where I would start and just see how it goes from there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, yes, it is better to be around older guys. So let's, uh, I would say, if I'm meeting with someone, um, you can't find a scripture for this, but I think that it's a, it's a, it's a principle that you can find. Everybody needs a, a Paul, everybody needs a Barnabas, everybody needs a Timothy. There's somebody that's farther than you, somebody walking alongside you. You have this group, and then there's somebody that you're bringing along. And bringing along is you're reading scripture together. You're not the expert. The Bible's the expert. So what I'm doing, if I'm in that, that, that one-on-one situation, I am now bringing them to Grace and Granite with me. I'm saying, let's go, to do, let's go do that together. Because the, one of the benefits that you're getting right now is you're hearing Ed talk. Or you're hearing Mark talk. Well, most of the time, whenever Mark talks. You're, keep you humble, brother. You're, you're, you're hearing that in, you know, in, that kind of, in, in that kind of setting. So I am figuring out how to connect them, and I'm 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 going with them, you know, in that you know in that process. But if I don't have anybody to hand them off to, uh, then then I'm doing that myself, and I'm I'm being intentional. I'm acknowledging there are people that are that have walked uh, you know farther than farther than that than I am. Um, so yeah, you anything to add to that? Yeah. Good. Good discussion. Let me pray for you. Let you go. Heavenly Father, I am so thankful that you are gracious and um, you're looking for direction, not perfection. That your grace smooths over even mistakes and errors so we don't even have to be afraid to, to do even what we're talking about this morning. Um. I'm thankful that you have promised to complete the work that you began in us, and I'm also thankful that you work through means. And uh, I pray that something that we've talked about or said this morning would would motivate us to go one step further uh, in our faith and apply something from Scripture, uh, whether that's the taking the spiritual inventory, what are where are we serving, are we giving. 
Are we paying attention to other people? Are we interested in others or just as ourselves? Or whether we're meeting corporately or individually. Uh, you might be glorified and that Jesus might uh, become preeminent in our hearts. In Christ's name, amen.